Uh, today we are continuing our sermon series called Therefore Go. And in this sermon series, we're taking a look at the book Acts of the Apostles. And last week, we took a look at the first two chapters of Acts of the Apostles. And where we left off was that the Holy Spirit had just descended on the apostles uh, and on the disciples in the upper room so that they had this power to be witnesses of God's future not to be historians of the past, not just to go back to the good old days, but to be witnesses, powerful witnesses to what God is going to do now and in the future. So that's where we left off last week. And so this week, we're going to uh, jump forward to Acts chapter 4. Uh, and I'll give you a little bit of a recap of what has happened in Acts chapter 3 and 4 before we dive into that. But before we do all of that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I give you thanks for all that you have given us and how you have spoken to us this day. And Lord, we ask that above all else, that you would speak again to us. That in moments where we need to hear your words of comfort, that you would give us comfort. In the moments where we need a word of correction, that you would give us that correction. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you this day asking that you would speak to us and giving us the courage, the boldness to be able to respond. And so, Lord, we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So have you ever gotten in trouble for maybe doing the right thing? Maybe you've been punished for doing the good thing, and uh, maybe after that moment you got kind of dissuaded from ever doing that right thing ever again, that good thing. Have you ever been punished for doing what you thought was the right thing? There was one moment years and years ago when I was still in Anderson, still in my parents' household, where uh, an event like this happened um, just like that. I got punished for doing the right thing. You see, where we lived, we weren't exactly out in the country, but we were not in the city. So where we were uh, was kind of out in the woods. And on our property in Anderson, uh, we lived out on the lake. So we had the lake. We also had the woods. And from time to time, we would see, you know, all these kind of creatures and all these kind of things. Now, there is only, there are not a, a lot of things that my parents were afraid of. However, there was one thing that my mother was terrified of. She was terrified of seeing these things, and eventually what happened was that there was this unwritten rule within our household that, well, if we ever saw one of these things, we would never tell my mother. It would just be better for everybody else. The thing that she was terrified most of, and maybe like many of you, are snakes. So I didn't do that at the first service because there was nobody sitting up there, but <laughs> she hates snakes. Can I have that back? Thank you. Um, <laughs> hey, Stephanie, do you want this snake? No? Okay. So this snake has got me in trouble a couple of times around Sharon United Methodist Church. <laughs> but, um, so we would never tell my mother if we ever saw a snake. Except for there was one time when we were out on our dock where we were, my brother, my dad, and I were walking back towards our house. And what did you think we saw on our way back? A snake. And believe it or not, it was the biggest snake that you could ever imagine. Sorry, if you're terrified of snakes, this, this, these next couple of minutes may not be pleasant for you. But it was a huge snake. It was thick all around, and it was crawling across the path as we were going up to the house. 
And well, I was so young then. I thought it was cool, but we let it go and we walked around it and we continued to walk up the hill to our house at where my mother was. And so we climbed the stairs into the living room where my mother was and she knew where we were. We had been down there for hours and hours. And so she asked us if we had a good time. And then later she asked the question, well, did you see any snakes? Now, here's the thing. There was that unwritten rule in our house that we would never tell my mom if we ever saw a snake. However, because it was unwritten and also unspoken, and the fact that I was so young that I wasn't picking up on social cues, I didn't see the glances that my brother and my dad exchanged with each other on the way up. They knew not to tell my mother. But what do you think I did? Guess what, Mom? We saw the biggest snake that we ever have seen on our property. And it was right down on our dock and all this stuff. You know, it should be down there tomorrow if you want to go down there. At that point, my brother and my dad were not very happy with me. And that was the day that I got in trouble for doing the right thing. I told the truth. But later that day, I also learned the unwritten and unspoken rule that we never tell my mother if we ever see a snake. So have you ever gotten in trouble for doing the right thing? Well, this is exactly what happened for the church, the early church. Where we left off last week in Acts of the Apostles was in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Everything was going well. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter, who was once a coward, is now a preacher and preaches this amazing message where thousands of people repent and are baptized and are welcomed into the church. But then trouble starts to happen in Acts chapter 3. As you heard Miss Kelly talk a little bit about, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go to the temple and they go to worship and to be with other believers and to worship God. When they're entering into the temple, they find this man who is begging at one of the gates into the temple. And he's begging for money and Peter and John take a moment to go aside and he's, he asks them for money, but Peter and John look at him and say, we don't have anything to give you. We have no silver, we have no gold, but what I do have you is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. And right in that moment, Peter grabs this man by the, by the hand and yanks him up. And as he, is coming, as he is about to stand up, this man who has never walked in his life is healed. And so he is now able to stand and jump and shout and dance about how he has been healed by God. Well, that kind of healing drew a lot of attention. Attention from the local authorities. And so Peter and John are brought before the local authorities, the Sanhedrin, this local council that is about enforcing the Jewish laws. And they ask them, how, can you, how did you heal this man? And so they tell them, we healed this man in the name of Jesus. And in fact, what happened in between that moment is that Peter and John were preaching about Jesus and how others could have that same healing, that same salvation in Jesus Christ. And well, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin. And in a lot of ways, they are arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. They are interrogated, they are interviewed, and they are threatened. This local Sanhedrin, who are not for Jesus, who are against Jesus, and against anybody ever preaching for Jesus, look at Peter and John and say, listen, we know you did a good thing. And we can't really explain how you did this good thing, but here's what we can tell you. You will never preach in the name of Jesus. Because if you do, we're going to arrest you. And we're going to throw you in jail. And Peter and John, these fishermen, these redneck Galileans who were once cowards that abandoned Jesus, look at this local council and say, listen, we hear what you're telling us, but we can't help 
but preach about Jesus Christ. And well, the local council, they can't really do anything. So Peter and John are released. They're warned once again. And Peter and John go back to the church, which is where we will pick up in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. This is what Luke writes uh, here in this chapter. After they were released, Peter and John went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, when they, the church heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, it is you who said by the, by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to do to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if this would have been my first response to being punished for doing the right thing. But instead, what we see here is that the church gathered together with Peter and John. After they hear this report about what has taken place, they gather together in a rare moment of unity to pray together. To pray together to God. What's fascinating, though, is what they pray for. If I were in charge of praying, at this point I'd probably say, Sovereign God, listen, these people are standing in the way. Get them out of here so we can do our work. Or something along these lines. Listen, God, we know that we're going to face persecution, but give us divine protection. Make sure that none of us are harmed, none of us are persecuted, none of us are forced to do something that we don't want to do. Make sure that none of us go to jail. Just make sure that we are protected. Make sure that we are comfortable so that we can continue to go to the temple and worship on a daily basis like we normally do. But that's not what the church does. In the face of all of this resistance, in the face of this punishment for doing a good thing, the good thing being healing this man who had never walked before, the church prays for boldness. The church doesn't pray for divine deliverance. The church doesn't pray for protection. This church, the early church, the first church, in response to this persecution, prays for boldness so that they can keep on doing what God has called them to do. They pray for boldness in order to boldly speak God's word. How can this church do this? How can these people, these, this, these first Christians, these early Christians, that just mere days after they were persecuted, days after Jesus had left them and, uh, and they were anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit, how can these Christians pray for this, pray this kind of prayer? Well, I think we're given a hint 
in their very first words of this prayer. Because in this rare moment of unity, in this rare moment of harmony, in response to what God has done, what happened with Peter and John, this church says, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it. Those first two words tell us a lot about Christians, about these early Christians. It tells us that they had a bold view of who God was. It tells us that they had an idea of who was in charge. That even in the face of this local persecution, it, it gives us an idea that they understand that there is somebody stronger than these, uh, these local councils. And even in some ways, it gives us this idea that the church, the early church, already knew that the Roman Empire was nothing compared to their sovereign Lord. This church has this boldness. They have this boldness. They have this bold view of God. Because they believed in God's power. They believed in God's sovereignty. They believed that God was higher than these local councils. They believed that God had more power than these, these rulers that ruled against them. They believed that God had more resources than all of those forces that are resisting them. That God has more resources and supplies in order to make sure that his victory is won. The early church was able to pray this prayer for more boldness because of their view of God, which was a bold and powerful view. So what I want you to remember for this week is this. Boldness comes from a bold view of God. Boldness comes from a bold view of God. Boldness comes from a bold view of God. This prayer that we see in Acts chapter 4 is kind of rare these days in some of our churches. This kind of prayer that uh, almost in some ways uh, understands that we're going to face persecution, so God, give us more boldness in order to withstand that persecution. Give us more boldness so we can continue to courageously and bravely speak into, speak God's word into a hostile environment. God, give us more boldness even though we know what the consequences may be. Those kind of prayers are rare. All too often when we pray, whether it's within church, whether it's within our Sunday school classes, whether it's within our own daily devotions, what we pray for more than anything else is our own comfort and security. We pray for those that are within our circle. We pray for life to continue to go on as we know it so that at least we know what's coming right around the corner. Sometimes our prayers are simply about those who are within our family, making sure that they are comfortable, making sure that uh, maybe they know Jesus, but making sure that they aren't rocking the boat too much. Perhaps sometimes all of our prayers just uh, are reduced to praying for those who are sick and in the hospital, all of which these prayers are good things. But the witness of the church calls us to pray for more than just those things. The witness of the early church demands that our prayer lives move beyond just outside of our central circle, outside of the circles that we know, but to pray for more boldness because the Holy Spirit is going to move us beyond our location here out into the community to go and tell the world about who Jesus Christ is. The witness of the early church reminds us that this church 
The church that started back then and continues to exist to this day is about God's mission and not about our creature comforts. It's this kind of bold prayer, this prayer that asks for boldness in the face of opposition that sometimes our churches lack. This past week we had annual conference, as I mentioned earlier today, and at the beginning of annual conference, Bishop Holston, who is the Bishop of South Carolina in the United Methodist Church, shared a message. And his message was to laity and clergy alike. And his reminder for us was what the church was meant to do. And what he said, this was his version of a bottom line, is that the church isn't meant for our pleasure, but for God's purposes. The church isn't meant for our pleasure, but for God's purposes. Too often when we make decisions about church, too often when we make decisions about life, we make them based on what will make us happy. We make them based on what will keep us secure and what will keep us comfortable. But being a part of the church means that we don't get to call the shots. But instead, God is the one who gets to direct us, who gets to orient us, who gets to move us in the direction that he wants us to go. The church doesn't exist for our pleasure. You don't exist for your own pleasure. You as the church don't exist for the pleasure of this church, but you exist for God's purposes. You, if you call yourself a part of this church, if you call yourself a member of Christ's body, your purpose isn't yours. It's God's. Your purpose isn't to find what makes you happy. Your purpose is to find what God has called you to do. And part of that means being willing to pray for boldness. It means being willing to pray with others for that boldness. It means being willing to pray for our church that, we would, uh, uh, that our boldness would increase so that we can go out into the world and share the good news and share the love of Jesus Christ. Now, don't, don't think that boldness means that we have to be rude. Boldness means that we are courageous, that we, go, we do the hard thing, we do the right thing, even when it will cost us. Boldness means asking God, for something that is beyond our own capabilities. Boldness comes from a bold view of God. A few years ago, Tony Evans, who's a megachurch pastor in Texas, was telling a story about a crusade, uh, and a crusade that takes place in uh, actually Columbia, South Carolina, believe it or not. And it was actually in williams Bryce Stadium, the football stadium, where thousands of people uh, were gathering there to hear God's word. Now, if you've spent any time in the South during the summertime, you know what's probably about to happen. No, there aren't any more snakes that are about to show up. But what happens here in South Carolina is we have this little thing called humidity. And as it gets a little bit more humid, humid, and especially in Columbia, South Carolina, where it is the hottest place on earth, I'm convinced, where it is so humid all the time, the humidity began to rise a little bit more, and the forecast in Columbia called for severe thunderstorms. And so people began to try to navigate what on earth they were going to do if these severe thunderstorms actually rolled in over uh, williams Bryce Stadium. And in fact, that's what the forecast was saying. 
And so what these church leaders and pastors did was that they gathered together a prayer meeting. And as Tony Evans tells the story, what he says is that all of these church leaders, these pastors, as they were praying these prayers, were praying prayers that were, well, undemanding of God. They were just nice, safe prayers of God, just whatever your will is, just let it be your will. Uh, and they would go on to one after the other after the other, praying these safe kind of prayers. Until this one person named Linda spoke up in this prayer meeting, and she asked to pray. Now, Linda would probably describe herself as not a leader of a church. She would probably describe herself more as a doer of the church, somebody that just does the stuff but wants to be behind the scenes. But she felt compelled in this prayer meeting filled with all of these pastors organizing for this prayer, this crusade, or this preaching opportunity. She felt to lead this group in prayer. And this is what she prayed, at least how Tony Evans remembers it. He says, she said, Lord, thousands of people have gathered here to hear your word. Thousands of people are here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would be a shame if they had to walk away because of just a silly little storm. And since you control the weather, it would be nice if you would do something about it. So in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, do something about this storm. Well, that was the end of the prayer meeting. And they went on with their plans, and, and the leaders, the organizers of this, this crusade, when they started this crusade, they, start, they stood up at the front and they said, listen, everybody, we're going to go as long as we can. We know that storms are coming, but when they show up, we'll, we'll call it quits and we'll go on and move about, go on with our day. And so as you saw throughout this, you know, williams Bryce Stadium, all these severe thunderstorms rolling in, the dark clouds uh, over the, the lights in the stadium, you, you started to see these uh, umbrellas popping up because umbrellas will protect you from the rain. I don't know what you're going to do about the lightning when you hit by that, but they start popping all these umbrellas open, and one person offered an umbrella to Linda, and Linda refused. She said, I don't need it. And as the crusade was starting to happen, as the clouds were getting darker and darker, as it was getting more and more ominous, and as you've heard, uh, as you felt these uh, thunderstorms here in the south, that wind begins to blow, what began to happen was something miraculous. Because over the stadium, what happened was that the clouds were rolling in, and then they were separated, and went around williams Bryce Stadium, and the entire crusade went off without a hitch. So years later, Tony Evans is telling this story, and he, he says, what, how did Linda pray what preachers wouldn't? How did Linda pray this prayer and ask for this thing that preachers would never dare ask for themselves? And he says, Linda has something that those preachers don't. Boldness. The sheer audacity to ask something demanding of God. Boldness comes from a bold view of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.